0: Last week when I was talking about, I, I don't use a manuscript because I get handcuffed if I have a manuscript. If I write everything out, I get going. You know how I, you know how I get. I get going and then I, my brain goes, well, wait, you're supposed to be in the manuscript. And I'll go back and I'll end up repeating myself. And that's not good for you. And it confuses me. I even do it when I read scripture and I pause and I forget where I paused and I go back. So, um, one, But one of the hiccups or roadblocks that comes with not using a manuscript is you trust your brain. So last week when I was talking about how, you, you know, insiders can, or outsiders can become insiders by seeking Jesus, but even the insiders can become outsiders. I don't remember if I get that right right there, but Judas, who was an insider, ended up being an outsider because he sold Jesus out for 12 pieces of silver. It wasn't 12. Kurt heard it and he went, huh? And if my wife had been in the room, she would have corrected me right in front of everybody which I appreciate. It keeps me honest. But Kurt's like, I don't know if I'm going to do that. So he wasn't even sure himself. So the next day, he's like, hey, um, I was reading the Bible. And he's like, so I apologize. I, I like to get things right. Um, but I, I I don't think that anything of depth or meaning in the sermon was, was compromised by that. But I like to own it when I mess it up. Um, the other thing I like to do before a sermon is Put you in context, because a text out of context is a pretext for trouble," says Dan Walcott. And um, so, reading through, and I ended up doing a devotional for part of the passage that was assigned this week that that I've preached here before. Um, so the disciples on the row are on the on the on the boat, and they're going over from Galilee to the Decapolis, also known as the Gerasenes the storm comes up and they're terrified because in their minds, they believe that where Satan lives, where chaos lives is in the abyss, which is the depths of the sea of Galilee. And they're heading over into devil territory, which is the Gerasenes or the Decapolis. And um, they're freaked out and Jesus is taking a nap and they're mad at Jesus. And they're afraid say, don't you care if we drown? And then he stands up and he quiets the storm and even nature obeys him. And then they're terrified. So they're afraid that God won't ask. And then they're afraid he will. But then there's this other passage, this other pericope, this other section, which is just a phenomenal thing, but I preached on it four years ago. So um, Jesus comes to a, to a spot where a, a man who has several demons comes up to him and they have this interaction and Jesus asks what his name is. The demons know who Jesus is, but Jesus calls him and he says, our, our name is Legion, so there's many. So this is a man who was howling and would cut himself with rocks and stones and just uncontrollable to everyone. Everyone knew him. And Jesus calls out the demons and they they'd make a deal with him like, well, throw us into the pig. You know this story, right? Throw us into the pigs. And they ran off a cliff and into the water and drowned. Um, okay, a couple of things about that I really like. And then I'm gonna tell you how my brain works. Um, I really I really like the fact that that Jesus speaks to demons and they go away. They do what he says, they have to obey. And I love the fact that the man who was a howling man becomes calm and quiet. And he asks Jesus if he can come back with him back to Galilee, and Jesus says, No, I want you to go home. So this man who's been delivered just moments before becomes the first missionary in Mark because he's going to go home and he's going to attest to the power of Jesus. But the people that watched it and watched those pigs go into the, into the sea, they demanded that Jesus leave. So they come, came in contact with the, with the God of the universe with skin on. God and Abad, uh, They hear his command. They see nature with the pigs and they see demons obey and they want nothing to do with him. And so Jesus and his disciples head back across. But here's how my brain works. I, I, I try to look in those passages and i try to ask myself what each person is going through. What about the guy who owns the pigs? Aren't you a little ticked? So, you know, we have these little colloquial sayings, these little uh, idioms like, uh, don't... Uh, don't close the barn door after the horses are out, right? Or don't put the cart before the horse. That's my favorite one. Cause that means someone once hitched up a horse team behind a cart, like they're gonna push it. And then they've got the don't count your chickens before the hatch. And what's going through my head is, what's the saying that came from that? Cause you know, something came up. I don't know if it's Jesus, Jesus don't like pigs, don't bring your pigs to church. I don't know, but somewhere, if they're guys, sooner or later, that guy's going to get grief, and there's going to be a little saying. And so I I was asking, like, hey, in four years, when I'm preaching this passage again, I want to use that little saying. So if you got one, let me know. And in, in breakwater, someone goes, when pigs fly, that's pretty good if they're going off the cliff. So anyway. That's what has just happened. They asked Jesus to leave and he doesn't trouble him. He doesn't tell him, nope, I'm staying. And he comes back. And, we, and when he comes back, immediately, people are waiting for him. They know where he is. They see him coming back and they're waiting for him on the seashore. And then two things happen. Mark uses this technique. There's a, there's a big theological name for it, inclusio, but, but he's, we just call it sandwiching. He starts with a story. He interrupts the story with another story and he finishes the first story. Now, I'm not saying it didn't happen like this. I think it did. But Mark is very careful not to say, well, here, let's just tell this story all by itself, tell this story all by itself, because they're related. We're gonna talk through that today. And it's a very familiar story to most of you, but I want to ask you to listen to things that you might not have noticed. And I'm not saying that I notice and you don't. I'm just saying that if you haven't studied this, it might not jump out at you. And I'm hoping, having studied it, to help it jump out at you. And then I have a few questions for you at the end. So let's pray, ask God, to speak and illuminate his scriptures, and then we'll go from there. Lord, your word's not mine. Stand in my shoes. Give me your thoughts and give me your words. I don't want to say to your people anything that is not of you, but I do want to say anything that is. So if if there's something you want said that I haven't planned, make it clear to me that it's from you, and I will speak it to your people today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you want us to see and hear and receive. Lord, there's some transformation that could take place in all of our lives because of this passage. And I pray that you give us cooperative spirits that we say, yes, Lord, make me who you want me to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he's just come back and the crowd's gathered and something kind of amazing happens. If you think about Jesus so far interacting with Jewish leaders. It has not gone well in the gospel according to Mark. I mean, they take him on right away. They call, because he casts out demons, they say he's of the devil. Um because he his disciples were picking heads of grain on the Sabbath, they say he's not obeying the law of the, the law of Moses that came from God about the Sabbath. Um, they say that he speaks with authority that doesn't come from God, it must come from somewhere else. Uh, they, they've even plotted with their own enemies to kill Jesus while they're accusing him of breaking the Sabbath, they're plotting murder on the Sabbath, which is a uh, several commandments that aren't going well. So they when he comes in contact with Jewish leaders, especially, Pharisees, Sadducees, and teacher of the law. It doesn't go well. Um, there's always a conflict. But here's one, it goes differently. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. So he's back in Galilee, Capernaum area. Uh, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. There's no conversation. Jesus doesn't say, well, why do you come to me? You know, we see this before with the rich young man. He comes to Jesus. He's kind of got all this stuff together. And he says, Jesus, um, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. Because he can see the guy's attitude. And they go through a little exchange. And then Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. Well, I've done that since I was a kid. One thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. And the guy turned around and walked away. This man has a different spirit He comes to Jesus, asks him for something, and Jesus goes, let's go. I want you to know what this man is risking because he is a ruler of the synagogue in that local town or village. So he's a big deal where he lives. Now, if someone's a big deal in Holland or Zealand, Michigan, they might not be a big deal in L.A., but they're a big deal here. We were talking just the other day and the, and the staff and someone was saying they wa- walked downtown Holland when it, was, when it was snowing like crazy. And it was like, oh, of course, Holland has snowmelt. Kind of like saying Zealand doesn't. But we all know where that came from. Edward Print, he, you know, when, the, when the, 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 the mall came and the town was falling apart, he invested his own money into downtown to try to save it and to let it. He's a big deal, or he was, and his wife is still a big deal around here. He's, this guy's a big deal in his community. He, he knows the scriptures. He's an elder in the synagogue. Um, people come to him for advice. He, 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 he knows, everybody knows him. Everybody knows his family and people are worried about his daughter, but for him to come, keep in mind that the responses are the way that the religious rulers have interacted with Jesus. They don't give him any credibility. And it's funny to me that Jairus is named because most of the characters in Scripture, even the, the, um, the, the sick woman that comes up in a minute, is not named. Most of the characters in the, in the gospel, according to Mark, are not named, but Jairus is. Because everyone wants to see, he, Mark wants everyone to see that, that this guy's a big deal. And he risks his social status. He risks potentially his ability to make a living for his family because he may be shunned. If he's shunned by the religious rulers, he is indeed shunned. Um, He 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 risks, if nothing else, at the cocktail parties, everyone saying, I can't believe you went and asked that guy for help. But not only does he come and ask for help, he falls to his knees and he begs him. And I think that any of us would be this way with our child. There are a few things that motivate men or women who are parents other than a sick or hurting child. We're going to get back to that piece in a minute. I love the fact that Jesus didn't even he didn't even talk to him according to the story. Just let's go. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been a subject who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around and I'm going to read it the way I think she heard it, not the way I think Jesus said it. He turned around uh, in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And his disciples do what disciples do. Basically, you're in a mosh pit at a concert. Everyone's touching you. That's what happens. Not nowadays, because you don't stand in line or anything, because there's, no, there's all the social distancing, but, but everyone's bumping into him. He, 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 they say, you see people crowding against you? And you, you ask who touched me? Now, I want to put you, I want to, I'm going to give you a little taste of, of what this woman has experienced. 12 years, she's been bleeding and we, we all can imagine where from and, and how, and it's been 12 years. And I want you to know that people probably cared for her pretty early on because when something is new, so this bleeding that, that started and did not stop when it was supposed to, her friends probably cared for her. They probably came by and they, I always picture like in a Western, when someone got shot or they have a fever and they take the sponge, Someone's sitting by and they take a sponge or rag and they squeeze it and they dab your head, you know, the, the kind of the fever thing. And they take kind of take care of you. I can see people sitting on the side of her bed. I can see people caring about her for the first couple of months or, or, or maybe even a year if they're really devoted. I told you a couple of weeks ago, the pain I've been experiencing, it's only been four and a half, almost five months. And I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago and I got wonderful cards. I got plenty of diagnoses, by the way. Um, but, but I, I got a lot of encouragement, and, and it was beautiful, and it's new, and it's fresh. And I had someone this morning say, hey, how was Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday? Because it's kind of on schedule. The pain storm seems to be every 12 to 14 days, and, and they said, hey, you told me last week that it was going to be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday if you got past that. Like, that went really well, but yesterday, um, my whole arm, my left arm was useless, and, and so it was just this weird, been this weird thing, but I feel encouraged, and it's very sweet, and it's very nice. I got a few cards and a few emails, and it's just... It means something that someone cares. And I think this woman experienced that for a while as well. But do you know that every time someone came and sat on her bedside, that they were now unclean? That if they sat in a chair that she has ever sat in, they are unclean? If they walked into her door and touch any surface that she's ever touched, as long as she's still bleeding and she's seen as being unclean, they're unclean. She has become a contagion. She is a virus. She is as socially distant as people can be. She is all alone. I talked to this week uh, a friend, Jean Hopp, who's a member of our church. She called this week because she wanted me to know that the phone line for live stream, some people don't have computers, that it was busy for half an hour, so she couldn't tune in last week. She wasn't calling to complain. She just wanted me to know, and I asked her how she's doing, and it occurred to her that it has been one year since she's been in fellowship with people other than the folks that she lives right around that she can run into or watch through a window on occasion. And not only that, but she's gotten even more socially isolated because there are seven people or eight people where she lives that are now COVID positive. So the restrictions are even stronger, even greater. And I'm like one a year, now, you, there's some people you haven't seen for a year. I get it. But a year of really only seeing people as they pass by or only seeing someone when they stop and they knock on your door and they drop off a tray for you to eat and you open the door and you kind of do that, a year It's a long time to be isolated. Imagine what it's like to be 12 years, not only 12 years, but you're becoming more and more anemic, more and more sick. You've lost everything. If she had a husband, he's probably long gone. She's used up any money that she had. She is a desperate, desperate woman, and she is a social pariah. She is the contagion because anyone she touches is now considered unclean. And she risks, she breaks the law. She sees or hears and how she heard, I don't know, but Jesus is walking through this village and, and she, she decides to crawl through the crowd from behind thinking, if I just touch him, I'll be better. And she does, but she risks her life. Just like the, the 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 leper in Mark chapter one, who comes up to Jesus and falls falls on his knees and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. After Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Um, but that man, the law and what your culture you're supposed to do is if, if a leper comes in contact with you, you're supposed to throw rocks at them until they're dead. That's the right thing to do in that culture. This woman, same thing. If she is intentionally, just like if you know you have COVID and you go to a restaurant and you sneeze all over everybody and lick all the doorknobs, you're probably going to have some social issues. This woman, by no fault of her own, is the person that no one wants to touch. And she's willing to risk her life to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And she does. And she's made well. And Jesus calls her out, who touched my clothes? But Jesus kept looking around when the disciples like, of course, who, what do you mean who touched you? He keeps looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. She's just been healed and now she's trembling with fear. Why? Because she's probably expecting that this great teacher, this, pe- this person that everyone's following around is going to go, woman, who do you think you are? You just made me unclean. How dare you? It contaminate all these people and me as well. I don't care if you got healed or not. That was out of line. That's her expectation. She is trembling with fear. God moved and now she's even more terrified that he did. And she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. There's so much packed into that sentence. Daughter, he could have said woman. He could have said lady. He could have called her by her name, but he called her daughter. That's intimate. The same way you would if your kid was sick and they got better or they came to you for help. You're going to hug them, hold them have an intimate exchange. You're going to make eye contact. That's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus treated somebody in desperate need. He looked her in the eye. He called her daughter and he says that your faith, not my clothes. He doesn't have magic garments. Your faith has healed you. And the word there for heal is sozo, S-O, really squiggly looking Z from Greek and an O. And it means always. It means healed, saved, delivered, and connected again with God. Every time you see the word saved, if it's so-so, it means all of those things, not just one. We have several different words for context. They don't. And then he says, go in peace, shalom, which again is go, in pros- go and prosper, be connected with God in a walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with him, and be connected with your community again. So you see what he did? He didn't just heal her sickness. And if she would have gotten the sickness healed and then disappeared again, nobody knows, number one, that she's okay. Number two, that she's now clean. Number three, that God is the one who did it. And number four, it was because of her faith that she was healed. And she would not have been reconnected with all of her community. She would have been alone, but well. And if you look through scripture, you will see time and time and time again where Jesus heals someone, he heals them publicly. He fixes their problem, and then he fixes their problem. And I think it's glorious. But what about Jairus? He's a pretty big deal. His daughter's dying. He humbled himself or maybe humiliated himself to fall at the feet of Jesus and said, will you help my kid? She's dying. And Jesus let's go. And then how dare him stop for this woman... I'm gyro. Now, I don't know if that's what's going through his head, but I know that you and me would be in a similar spot. If, you, if your kid's in a car accident and you, and you get into the emergency room and, and your kid seems okay, but you're going to get checked out. And this happened to me. I had amnesia from, a, from, a, from getting a concussion in a car wreck. And I was absolutely fine. I gave a police report and then I kept asking my mom or my brothers, was I in an accident? 15 times I asked the same question. So if you're sitting in a nursery room with your kid and they start going, Mom, would you tie my tomatoes? It's not, what? My tomatoes, they're untied. Would you tie my-? Something's wrong. You're going to go to the desk. You're going to get someone in here that I think something's going on. And, 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 you're, and you've eaten minutes with you. And then her husband comes over and stands right with you. Being, you know, good West Michigan polite, you're not, you're not going to be pushy. But this woman that's in front of you has been there for 15 15- years. But aren't you going to have that little bit like you get them back in the line? Who do you think? There's no savies. I, I go to Disney World. I love Disney World. I don't know why. I don't like crowds. I don't like paying $9 for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't get it. But for some reason, I like it. But one thing that bugs me, and guys, I know, you, I know you've been there. Those little turnstiles that you go back and forth in, and you got the, 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 the guy with his family behind you and that little squirmy kid that kind of pushes up against your leg all the time. And when you go around the corner, he sneaks out in front of you. And then a few minutes later, the dad's going, hey, hey, can you mind if we get up there with my kid? As a matter of fact, I do. How about if your kid goes back where he started? Now, I'm West Michigan Plate, so I don't do that. I don't want to cause a fuss, but that's what I'm thinking. If your daughter is dying, and the one person you believe might be able to help, he's coming to help, and then he gets interrupted by some woman. Now, it doesn't say that that's what he was thinking, but I think he was because of what Jesus says to him. He gets, the, he gets the news that he was fearing. While Jesus was still speaking to the woman, some men came from the, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, which Mark wants to know. He's a big deal. Your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? <sighs> Ignoring what they said, I love it when God ignores people. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler. And I'm going to tell you the literal translation. Don't be afraid keep believing. Don't be afraid. Be in the present and ongoing state of having been believing. Don't give up now. He did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. Of course they did. They know what death looks like. This still happens in the Middle East today. The, 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 the rule is if someone dies enough before sunset that you can get them in the ground before sunset, you get them in the ground. And people, all the village or all the people will come around and they will, it's part of the grieving process. They will wail out loud. They will cry out to God and they will say why. And they will do all the things that they need to do in order to put someone on the ground. But they know death just like we knew death 100 years ago when people died in their homes. They didn't die in the hospital. And you and I both know, we've watched enough TV shows that if someone is there and, and their skin is pale and, they're, they're, and it's cold to the touch and you put your ear on their chest and you hear nothing and you lick your finger and put it under their nose because it'll feel a little cool if there's any breath coming out and there's nothing, you know, you know when someone's dead. So did they. And for Jesus to have the audacity to tell these people he's never met that they're wrong, <laughs> but I want to show you something that you might not have noticed before. You remember when the paralytic was dropped down through the roof and Jesus said, your, sons are for, your sins are forgiven and they get all upset. And he goes, so that you may know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, young man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. You know when that man was healed? It wasn't when he stood up. It was when Jesus told him to. When he says, get up, that man has, is healed and he has to have a faith enough to engage his core, faith that will move a muscle and to, to, to trust the command of God and respond to it in obedience. And then he experiences the healing he already has. This little girl is dead, all the way dead. But when Jesus said, she's not dead, she's sleeping. She is now alive again. No one sees it yet, but she is now. He just changed the narrative. She was dead. Now she's sleeping and watch. We get to see what Jesus does, but he doesn't want anyone else to know. And there's a reason behind that. And I'll get to that in just a second. After he put all those wailers and those people laugh at him, he put him out of the house. After he put him out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples that were with him, and he went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand. And again, literal translation, get up, little girl. Talitha means arise or get up, and kum means little one, little girl. Get up, little girl. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around, she was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. No kidding. And he gave strict orders not to tell anyone, uh, not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Now, the little give her something to eat thing is, is, is Jesus' way of making sure that when the story's recorded, and Mark records it well, that people know that this isn't like a, 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 a ghost visitation. It's not like, you know, you're, I dreamt about my daughter, and it's, she was here, and she's okay. It wasn't that. Because Disembodied spirits don't ingest food. So it was clear that, that, that Mark wants us to know that this is a, this is a resurrection or it's a resuscitation. But why doesn't Jesus, on, on one hand, you get got a woman that, that wants to be healed in secret and he calls her out and someone else that everyone's around, they all know she's dead. What a great opportunity to show the world that he is God over death, that he is the resurrection and the life. We saw that with Lazarus, right, in, in the gospel of John, but that's later in the gospel when he wants, he wants people that he waits four days to make sure that, that, that Lazarus is all the way dead and decaying. And he calls him out and someone goes, well, yeah, we believe in the resurrection. You know. He goes, no, no, I'm the resurrection. That's later on. Jesus right now doesn't want to become the necromancer. He doesn't, want to become the, he doesn't want people to just get excited about the magic tricks and the miracles. He wants them to know who he is, why he's there, and that while he's putting death on hold for this little girl, Jesus will defeat death when he dies and is resurrected. It's the messianic secret that we see in Mark, but it doesn't mean that even though his plan is not to be revealed as the Lord over death, it's still, he's not going to let, he's not going to let his plan, his mission get in the way of doing right by someone. This little girl is dead and he doesn't want her to be that way. So I want you to look at this for a second. It doesn't matter what your need is. He's willing to be interrupted by it. Yesterday, I spent the afternoon here and I I had a come to Jesus meeting with Jesus. I wasn't a jerk, but I did list all the things that have been wrong with me. And why do I have more things wrong with me? So I approached him boldly, but not humbly. And after a little time, he reminded me of that one verse that I like to skip the middle of. Joyful in hope, which I haven't done a great job on. Faithful in prayer, which I think I'm doing okay. In the middle of the sandwich, patient in affliction. This woman was desperate. She sought out Jesus. This man was desperate. He sought out Jesus. He was a big shot, and he still had to humble himself before the Lord. She was a nothing. And she still humbled herself before the Lord. And they both received that which Jesus wanted for them. We talked a little bit last week about humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Don't wait to be humbled, but to humble yourself. So I think, because Jesus asks all the time, what do you want me to do for you? When he comes in contact with these nameless people. And one says, I want my sight. And he grants him his sight. Jesus asks you, he asks me, what do you want me to do for you? I want my pain to go away. But not if he wants something else to come from it. But then I want him to tell me what it is that's going to come from it because I got to have the, I got to be in control. There's a risk of all of us being insiders. Insiders being followers of Jesus, becoming outsiders like Judas, even like Peter. But there's also the sense that no matter how many times we kind of are outside, there's a way to get back inside and it has to be humble, to submit my will, my desires, my heart, and even my mind to the one who is the giver of all good things. but do it with gentleness and humility. And if he gives you what you ask, praise God. And if he says not yet, here's the hard part, praise God. We're told in the scriptures, the Lord gives and he takes away, blessed be the Lord. He says to the man, and he says to you and me, don't be afraid. Just keep believing. Even if you don't get what you want, don't be afraid. Just keep believing. And when I do give you what you want, don't be afraid. Just keep believing. You can always go from outside in, but be careful not to go from inside out. Humble. Submissive. And praise the Lord no matter what comes. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. And thank you. We thank you for Jairus and this humility. For this woman that she was healed. And this little girl who lived again. Lord, I pray that you do something like that in each of us today that where we're unwell, you make us well. Where we're kind of dead, make us alive again. And when we're desperate for someone else, that you give us evidence that you're actually doing, working in the person that we're so worried about. We pray these things in your name, for your sake and for your glory. Amen.